It's a well-known fact that the letters or epistles, 21 of them of the New Testament, usually end in the same way. The letters don't end like our letters end. When we write a letter and we get to the very end of it, typically we sign our name. Letters in the New Testament don't do that at all. When you look at the Apostle Paul's letters, all 13 of them end with a benediction and with the extending of grace to the readers. If there's one thing that Paul knew and understood was that the readers, those that he wrote to, they needed the grace of God to be operative in their life day in and day out. When Peter writes his two letters, he ends it, he ends them with a benediction, just like Jude, just like the writer of Hebrews. John, when he writes 2 John, and when he writes 3 John, he ends his letter with greetings. But there are two letters in the New Testament that don't end in the normal way, in the usual way. And those letters are James, that very practical, down-to-earth book where James gives all of these commands and exhortations. But when he comes to the end of his letter, he exhorts his readers to restore sinning Christians. No greetings to say goodbye, no benediction. He wants the readers to restore those who have gone astray. When you come to 1 John, it's an unusual ending. It's an abrupt ending. And John ends this letter, as I have just read, with a command. The command to guard yourselves from idols. Why this unusual ending? Why not just end the letter by saying greetings, God's best to you, God's grace and mercy to you? Why does John end with a command? It's not because he ran out of ink and paper. That's not why. It's not because John writing or ending was lost. Some have suggested that due to this strange ending, that the real ending of 1 John has disappeared. When I was in seminary, our preaching professor would tell us uh, when we preached a sermon that we had to end at a particular time. Obviously, I didn't listen to my preaching uh, professor because I don't end at a particular time but I'm not the only one in Fairview who's guilty of that. But, but our professor would say, you have 30 minutes, and you got to end in 30 minutes. And, and as motivation to make sure that we would end in 30 minutes, he would say, if you don't end 30 seconds before the ending time or 30 seconds after, I'm going to start taking points off. That was great motivation. Now, I don't know what you guys can come up with uh, to motivate us to end on time, but that's what he did. And so there were sermons that took off beautifully. 
Uh, there were sermon that once they were in the air, uh, it was a great flight. But then all of a sudden the realization came that it's time to end. Your 30 minutes are over. And there would be a crash landing. I mean, uh, the, the preacher would just crash land. Now, now John is not doing that. Uh, John is not saying, well, I don't have any more time. Let me crash land this sermon. Let me crash land this letter. John ends this letter this way purposely because he's trying to communicate a message to his readers. And typically, because of the way that John has ended this letter, individuals are prone to ignore what John has written in verse 21 that I read for you. But we don't want to ignore it. We want to investigate it. Because I believe that this verse can have a major impact upon your life and my life. That, that this verse is able to make a difference when we leave this sanctuary and go into the world. Our text, 1 John 5, 21, provides three insights into the subject, guard yourselves from idols. Please note that Christians are the recipients of the, this command. Christians, believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. When John addresses his readers in verse 21, he, in essence, is reminding them of who they are in Christ. He has pointed out the fact that they have believed in the Son of God, that they have believed that Jesus is the Christ. He has pointed out the fact that they are born of God, that they are children of God. And don't let any of those titles fly over your head. When you're a Christian, it's more than just, quote, I'm saved. It means you have repented of your sins and put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that you are God's child, that you have been born of God, that new life has been given to you. And John here does not say all of those things, but he has been saying it throughout this book. But we know that the recipient of this command is a Christian. How do we know? Because John directly addresses the readers as little children. Little children. And that's suggesting that they are born of God, that they are children of God, that they have put their faith in Christ, that they believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And John says to them, little children, that address is familiar to the readers. It should be familiar to you and me. This is our last sermon on 1 John. And back in chapter 2, verse 1, John addressed his readers as my little children. And in chapter 2, verse 12 and verse 28, he refers to them as little children. Six 
different times, with this being the last one, John has said and addressed his readers as little children. So it's a familiar address. It's a direct address. He's seeking to grab their attention. And he says directly to them, little children. He's not writing to everybody. He's not writing to the whole world. He is directly addressing those who are little children, those who are Christians. It's a tender address. Now, some of you can probably remember some ways that you have been addressed in life. And it might not have been too kind or too nice. But John addresses his readers not as those that he's disappointed with, not as those that he is upset with. He doesn't do like James does in chapter 4, where he calls his readers adulteresses. How would you like to be called that? Pastor calls you out and says you're unfaithful to the Lord member. No, John calls them little children. In reality, he could have used a word that just means children. There were different terms he could have used, but here he combines the idea of little with children. Not little in the sense that they are insignificant. He's not insulting them, not saying that they're childish. But instead, what he's saying is, I cherish you. Little children, I'm writing to those whom I cherish, those whom I have tender affection for, those whom I have feelings for. And so it's a familiar address. It's a direct address. It's a tender and loving address, but also it is a fatherly and pastoral address. John writes as their spiritual father. He writes as their spiritual mentor and supervisor, so to speak. He writes as the one who is watching over their souls. And need to understand, John is not a hireling. He's a pastor. He cares about the sheep. He doesn't just simply say, let me ignore this matter. Let me not deal with it. I don't want to create any problems. But John confronts the matter at hand as a father would confront his son or his daughter or as a pastor would lovingly shepherd the people under his control. Little children. So from a tender, caring, affectionate, loving, fatherly, pastoral heart, John lets them know that this command is for them. They they can't ignore it. They can't act like it's not in the book. John is writing to them. And he does so out of concern, out of love. 
Don't ever get the idea that if someone confronts you with a particular matter with regards to your lifestyle, that that person doesn't care about you or love you. We, we show our greatest love to one another when we are seeking to help each other live lives that bring glory and honor to God. The, the, the worst thing or one of the worst things you can do as a Christian is don't care about your brothers and sisters in Christ. Let them continually go down a path that doesn't honor God. So John now turns his attention from the recipients of this command to write what the command requires. Personal effort is demanded by this command. John is not calling on Christians to be passive. He's not calling on them just to sit in the pew and and take it in. John is not promoting a let go, let God theology. He, He is saying to his tender, loving children, his little children, that when it comes to this command, you, you got to do something. You, you got to get involved. Effort and energy is required of you as a Christian. John is not under any illusions that all that you have to do is be a Christian and all of these things will be, quote, lived out in your lives. Now, now, last Sunday, we came across a marvelous truth. Now, we talked about that confident Christian. And in verse 18 of chapter 5, that confident Christian is certain about victory over sin. Aren't you glad about that? That, that as a Christian, you can know for certain that you will experience victory over sin. Not because of you, but because John says in that verse that we are being kept by the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is working on the believer's behalf. He's working on your behalf. He's keeping you. And, And because he keeps you, you won't be touched by the evil one. The devil will not be able to grab you and have you under his control like he did before you got saved. John says that Jesus keeps us. Now, as you go through your Christian life, keep that in mind, that you're being kept continually by the Lord Jesus Christ. But, but that doesn't mean I do nothing in my Christian life. We can take verse 18 and distort it and say, well, there it is. Jesus will keep me. I don't have to do anything. Well, that's why you got to read verse 21. Yes, Jesus will keep you, but you also must be involved in keeping yourself. John writes, guard 
yourselves. That word guard is used several times in Scripture. Paul told Timothy at the end of 1 Timothy, basically gave him the command, guard. And then in 2 Timothy, two different places, he says, guard. When the Lord Jesus Christ was speaking to a group of individuals, he said, be on guard. And here is John saying, guard. He's giving a command. He's giving a responsibility that we are to guard. We are to protect. We are to defend. And the wonderful thing that John does here is he gives us the object of what we are to guard. Guard yourselves. He didn't say guard one another. This verse is not teaching that. This verse is saying that I have an individual responsibility. I have a, a, a you know, the need and the, the necessity exists for me to flesh out guarding my individual self. I can't do that for you, Fairview. I can watch over your soul. I can pray for you. But the actual guarding that John is talking about, that's your responsibility. That's what you must do. And please don't misunderstand John. He's just said, Jesus keeps us. Now he said, you keep yourself. It's not either or. It's both and. It's what Paul said in Philippians 2, 12 through 13. Work out your own salvation. Understanding that it's God who is at work in you. So as I guard myself, I don't do that in my own strength, my own ability. I guard myself relying upon the grace of God, relying upon the power of the Holy Spirit to guard, protect, and defend myself. Now you can go out and try to do it on your own, and you'll fall flat on your face. But you need to understand personal effort is required. We've turned Christianity into a passive relationship with God. That we just sit back, just kind of take in the word. And that means I'm not to do anything. As long as I hear, it's okay. But James said, not only must you hear, you must do. And John is saying here, yes, Jesus keeps us. And praise God that he does. But also, John commands, keep yourselves. Guard yourselves. And you've heard me say it before, and I'll say it again. Psalm 119, verse 10, where the psalmist makes the marvelous words that he has sought God with all of his heart. Doesn't get any better than that as far as personal effort. He said, God, I've, I've sought you with, with all of my heart. But then the next words that come out of his mouth, but do not let me wander from thy commandments. 
God, God, I'm doing all that I can on my part, but I don't trust myself. I don't depend upon myself. There's a distrust. Yes, I sought you with all my heart. I seek you and I'm determined about that. I'm doing all that you would want me to do, but do not let me wander. Have you been there? Trying to do it on your own? Trying to do it on, in your own strength? And you fall flat on your face? Because you thought that desire and determination was enough. But no, my friends, there must be distrust and dependence. And that's why he says, do not let me wander from my commandments. God, I know that I can pursue you, I can seek you, but don't let me wander from your commandments. I need you, God. And so this command, this statement of personal effort is demanded of this command, is insightful and helpful because it really tells us about living the Christian life in general. When it comes to living the Christian life in general, we are not to be passive, but we are to be active. But at the same time that we are active, am I dependent upon God to do the things that he wants me to do? It's not a matter, I surrender. I'm just going to wait till God causes me to get up in the morning and have my devotions. You can wait all you want. You better get up. Open up the word and pray. And if you don't want to get up, cry out to God, God, help me to get my lazy butt out of the bed. There is an aspect of the Christian life where, yes, we are active, that their personal effort and energy is required. But even as we do that and say that, we are dependent upon God. As we conclude this verse, please know that the bottom line of the command is no idols. No idols is the bottom line of this command. You've seen the sign. I think you might have a few around here. No food allowed. No drinks allowed. We might have a whole bunch of those around. Well, John is saying no idols allowed. Idols are not permitted or allowed to be entering our life are in our life. No idols permitted. Now, the reference to idols as the very last word in this book is shocking. And the reason why is because this word 
has not been used once at all in the rest of 1 John. So you think of 105 verses. In the previous 104 verses, no reference, no mention of idols. And then all of a sudden, at the very end, keep yourself, guard yourselves from idols. And the million-dollar question is, what are these idols that John is referring to? What are these idols that we are to keep ourselves from? What are these idols that are not allowed to be in our life? I do hope you understand that basically an idol is something or someone who takes the place of God. You can go back to Exodus 20, the Ten Commandments. One of the commandments in Exodus 20, verse 4, is you shall not make for yourself an idol. Can't get much clearer than that. God's saying to his people as he gives them various commands, don't make for yourself an idol. Fast forward a few years, many years. Israel has entered into the promised land. Joshua has led them. And you come to the end of the book of Joshua. And what do we read in Joshua 24? Joshua says to the people of God, put away the idols. These were the people of God. God has just supernaturally brought them into the promised land. They're theirs. The land is their land. And Joshua, before he gets ready to die, calls on them to serve God. But he says, involved in that, you got to put away the idols. And he asks, which your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt. Which suggests that idols have been a problem for the nation of Israel throughout their years of existence. Idols. John uses that term. In a frequent message in the Old Testament, it had nothing to do with idols. That was obvious. There, there was no one who could say, oh, I never heard this before. No, they understood it. And the reason why idols are worthless. It's funny to read the assessment of idols that you find in the Word of God. And probably one of the saddest testimonies about who idols are is in Psalm 115, beginning at verse 4 all the way to verse 7. And let me just read it for you. It says, Their idols are silver and gold, the work of man's hands. An idol, from God's perspective, was just simply something that a man created with his hands. He said, they have mouths, but they can't speak. They have eyes, but they can't see. They have ears, but they cannot hear. Do you get the picture? 
worthless. What, what good is having eyes if you can't see? Having a mouth but you can't speak. Having ears but you can't hear. They have noses but they can't smell. They have hands but they cannot feel. They have feet but they cannot walk. They cannot make a sound with their throat. And here are these idols have to be carried along and helped by individuals. Worthless. I think when John uses the term idols, he could be referring to literal idols made from wood, made from stone and metal. In the area that the readers lived, in Asia, in Ephesus, the land was full of idols. Some 30 years before John wrote this, Paul visited Ephesus in that surrounding area. And Paul got himself in trouble. And the reason he got himself in trouble is because Paul proclaimed that God's made with hands are no gods at all. You can call it a god, but but Paul went around preaching saying God's made with hands. The hands of human beings are no gods at all. And that was part of Paul's message as he proclaimed the true and living God. And he got in trouble over it to the extent that there was a riot that broke out. And and those who made idols, those whose business it was to make these things from wood, steel, and iron, they got upset because it was affecting their profit. Because in that land, they worship the goddess Artemis. They had a temple to her. So as John writes to these readers, they're living in a context where idols abound. But I don't think that's what he's talking about. I don't think he's saying to these Christians, get rid of the idols that you have made with your hands. Get rid of the idols that your neighbors have made with their hands. Now, I think John is talking about another form of idolatry. And I want you to hear me clearly on this. The the idols that John is talking about in this book have been produced by man, made by man, but it's those individuals who once were a part of the Christian community, but they left. John talks about them in chapter 2, verse 19. He said, they were of us. They went out from us. They, they, They used to be a part of our fellowship, part of our group. They used to profess that they were Christians like we were. But John said, they went out from us. Why? Because they were not of us. And that showed their true colors. Now, those individuals in John's day who went out from the Christian community, they manufactured their own gods. 
They took the image of the true and living God and turned it into their own image. They created their own idolatrous forms of God, of Jesus, of love, of sin, of righteousness. Their belief was that Jesus was not the Son of God. Their belief was that Jesus was not the Christ. Their belief was that sin didn't matter. It didn't matter in your walk with God. Their belief is that righteousness had no connection at all with being born again and living and practicing righteousness. In their thinking, you could be righteous and not born of God. I hope you understand that if you're not born of God, you cannot be righteous. You cannot practice righteousness. They had a faulty view of love. Their understanding is that love didn't matter. I could hate my brother. I could hate my sister and still be in the light. And John dispels all of those idols throughout this book. And I want to encourage you, the next time you read this book, look for the different idols that John says to his readers. Guard yourselves from. Guard yourself from an incorrect view of Jesus Christ. Guard yourself from an incorrect view of God. God is light. God is holy. Guard yourselves from these different beliefs and behaviors. I don't have my head buried in the sand. This command is relevant for us today. Little children, guard yourselves from idols. We have idols in our heart. They might not be set up in our house or in our car or in our job, but in our hearts. We have idols. The idol of the unholy trinity, me, myself, and I. And we bow down to that idol. The the, the most important thing or person in our life is not God. It's me. We, We live life even as Christian, from a selfish point of view. Paul, when he writes to uh, the Philippians about Timothy, he says, I have no one else like him who would genuinely be concerned about your welfare because they all seek after their own interests. What an indictment. Christians, followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, but seeking after our own interests and not the interests of Christ. The idol of sex. 
Some of us are bowing down and worshiping that idol. It might not be that three-letter word, but it's pornography. It's masturbation. And what is John saying? Guard yourselves. And I'm not up here saying that it's easy, but we can't be passive. If you think that just simply praying in a way is all that you have to do, you don't understand how we have to be active in obeying the word of God. Some of us is sports. Sports is number one. We can't come to church. We can't serve God because that's our idol. And and that idol dictates, that idol controls how I'm going to live, how I'm going to worship, what I'm going to do. You know, there are other items like education, et cetera. Our jobs. In John, words are appropriate. Christian, make every personal effort to guard and protect yourselves from idols who are taking the place of the true and living God. The Apostle John has written a powerful letter. Someone has said that this book is shallow enough for a child to wade in, but deep enough for an adult to drown in. John has said some marvelous things about the Trinity, about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he said some marvelous things about love and righteousness and sin. The apostle doesn't end this letter with a crash landing. That's not what this ending is all about. His heart's desire is that when his readers finish this letter, that that they go out in a world that is full with idols and, and that they would do all that they can by the strength and power of God to keep themselves from idols, to keep oneself from those things that are dominating our lives and are taking the place of the true and living God. And so, Fairview, I say to you, Guard yourselves, keep yourself, protect yourselves from idols. And the idols that you might have to protect yourself from might be different than the ones that are mentioned in 1 John. But they are real. And there are idols today that we have just allowed to be in our life. And be present. And Joshua is saying to you and saying to me, get rid of, put away those idols. I've said it before. God is not into threesomes. 
He's not interested in a relationship with you, your idol, in him. And so as Joshua said to people in his day, line up your gods. Line them up. Come get your God, your idol, and leave. The word of God says, leave. Come back. When you have put away your idols and you're willing to bow down and give the true and living God the proper place in your life. Guard yourselves from idols. Didn't say it would be easy. Didn't say it would be automatic. But by God's grace and God's enablement, we can obey this command. We can obey this command as Christians as we put in the personal effort and energy given by the Spirit of God to protect ourselves and defend ourselves against idols. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this verse that in some people's eyes are, is insignificant, strange, and has no implications with regards to what John has written. Open up our eyes so that we might see and feel the weight of John's concern when he wrote these words long ago. He had written marvelous things, Lord, things about you and the Son and the the Holy Spirit. He had written about love and righteousness and sin. But the message that he wanted his readers to leave with is that they must guard themselves from idols. Lord, we need that same command. We need to take heed to it and protect ourselves from those things that come into our life that seek to take your place. Thank you that you are the true God, the the living God. May we bow down and worship you and you alone. Help us to put away the gods that might be in our life that are buying attention with you. Help us to be faithful. Help us to be loyal and dedicated to you. We pray this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and for his glory and honor. Amen.